So we've been in a sermon series all this month called Being Plugged Into Something Bigger. And I want to I wanna conclude the message today, but we're going to conclude it by actually going back to the ver- very first scripture we read in this sermon series about getting plugged into something bigger. So I want to go to John 6. That's where I had you turn. And most of us, maybe in Sunday school or, or whatever the case may be, we heard the story about the, the boy with the five loaves and the two fish and how Jesus fed everybody with the five loaves and the two fish. But can I tell you, it's more than just a Sunday school message. There are some amazing nuggets in here for us to pull out. So I want us to read this together, starting in verse 1, John 6, 1. It says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. I want to pause there. If you read the same story in the book of Matthew, I'm reading this out of John. In the book of Matthew, it says, when he looked over the crowd, he had compassion over them and he healed their sick. Can I tell you this though? And and again, I I don't know if I can stress this enough, but any time that Jesus sees something that attacks your identity, Jesus wants to deal with it right now. And the reality is sickness tries to formulate identity in us. Well, you're a cancer patient. You're a diabetic. Well, you're an addict. You're a this, you're a that. The reality is that is not who we are. That's just something that we're having to walk through and deal with. But the reality is sometimes when you're in a big battle, it feels like that's who I am. And every time there is something in our lives whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's mental, that attacks who you really are, Jesus wants to deal with it right now. And so he looks over this crowd, and he sees people that are sick, and he says, wait a minute, I was there when humanity was created, and that's not who they were designed to be. That's not who my Father made you to be, so let's deal with that, because I don't want you living outside of who you were designed to be from the very start. So he stops and deals with their sickness, because their sickness tries to convince them There's something they're not. Amen? I promise you, whenever something begins to distort your identity, Jesus will always want to deal with that in your life. Amen? Now listen, just because it's something you're walking through, it doesn't mean that's who you are. And really, think this through. If what we were experiencing formed our identity, would we not be the most schizophrenic group in the entire world? Because we go through multiple issues a day, do we not? And and if what we were walking through formulated my identity, I'd be a schizophrenic mess because I'd have about multiple personalities per day, right? But just because you're walking through something That doesn't mean that's who you are. It just means it's an opportunity for Jesus to do something amazing in your life. Amen? It is the reality that I don't care if you're dealing with depression. I don't care if you're dealing with an addiction. I don't care what your issue is. Just because you're walking through it doesn't mean 
that your identity is formulated because of it. Amen? Let me read on. Verse 3. Then Jesus climbed a hill. He sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. said, there's a young boy here with five loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on a grassy slope. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same thing with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five loaves and the two fish. Now let me just point out a couple of things that, again, I, I pointed them out earlier uh, in the first part of the sermon series, but I'm going to do it again because this is really important for you to understand. Do you think there was anyone in the crowd? So it says about 500 men. A lot of estimates say anywhere from about 12 to 15,000 could have been upwards of around 20,000 people, men, women, and children. Do you think there was anybody in the crowd of 10 to 15,000 that were only there for what they could get? Yeah? You think there was anyone there that could have gave a rip about Jesus, but they thought, well, maybe I can get healed or maybe I can get a free meal out of the deal. But yet the scripture says this, every person there ate as much as they wanted and there were leftovers. Can I tell you this? Jesus isn't sitting there judging everyone in the crowd saying, oh, did you read your Bible this week? Uh, have you been to church here lately? Everyone in the crowd, regardless of their motives, was ministered to by the hand of Christ. And the reality is, is I don't care why you're here this morning either. And neither does Jesus. He wants you to eat as much as you want. Enough for you and leftovers. For anybody else that would like to feed. Jesus will always use what you have to benefit someone else. That's a good nugget to write down. But Jesus will always take what you have and use it for the blessing and the benefit of someone else. That's what Jesus does. So you have this boy. And a lot of the commentaries that I've read have said that this boy wasn't even a part of the crowd of, say, 10 to 15,000 people. I find that to be even more interesting because a line, a, along with that line of thought, then you got this boy with his lunchbox, five loaves, two fish. He's kicking it. There's this crowd of people. He's not even a part of the crowd, but he hears there's a need. And he says, hey, um, I, I got some food here. Now, can I tell you this? Again, I'm thinking about having this tattooed somewhere on me. Jesus will never ask you for what you don't have, 
but he will always ask you for what you don't want to give away. That'd be a long tattoo, so I don't know about that one. But it is the reality that, listen, if we live life like this, because, listen, we don't know how long it took that boy maybe to catch those fish. We don't know if maybe he came from a broken home and he was taking that home to his family. You know, the scripture doesn't really tell us. But all I know is this boy is walking by, and by the way, that, that's probably a, a bad thing because most commentaries say he was either in his mid to late teenage years or early 20s. And so you got this young man walking by, and he says, you know what? I'll give you what I got. Now, Andrew comes by and says, well, I mean, there's this boy here. He's got like five loaves and two fish. But what is that among so many people? Isn't it crazy how we're always made to feel like what we have isn't enough? What we have to offer, I mean, really, what is that among so many people? Now, listen, Andrew's a good guy. But even the good guys can make you feel like what you have is inferior. See, this is so interesting to me because, again, Jesus wants to use whatever's in your lunchbox now. And he's indiscriminate. It doesn't matter if you got one of the big Yeti coolers or you just got the smallest little Dukes of Hazard lunchbox. It doesn't matter. I'm sorry, like that totally dated me, but I had one of those metal Dukes of Hazard lunchboxes and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I wish I would have kept it. It doesn't matter what it is or how much it is. It's a matter of the heart. Am, am I willing to let him do something more than what I can do with it on my own? Because here's the thing. You, you may be looking saying, Pastor, you don't understand. I worked 50 hours this week, and, and I, I'm, I'm struggling, and, man, my bills are at about right here. Well, here's the problem. If you live life with a closed fist, that's great. You get to hang on to it, but God can't get anything into a closed fist. And he wants to bless you, and he wants to give you 12 baskets more if you're willing to open up your lunchbox. But... If I'm not willing to open up my lunchbox, then yeah, I may eat for a day, but I miss out on all that God wants to do by living life with an open hand. Now, turn with me, if you would, to Genesis 3. Listen, that boy, let, let's just pretend those commentaries are right, and he was just minding his own business, doing his own thing, wasn't even a part of the crowd. Let's pretend like that's accurate. That boy, he was not plugged into something bigger until he was willing to give away what he had. But look at, look at this part here in Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. This is back in the garden, the beginning of life. And look at, at Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, Satan was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent 
Satan said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said to you, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Pause. Pause for a second. The serpent was more subtle and deceitful. Can I tell you this? Don't, don't believe Hollywood. And don't believe the, the, the big red suit and the big pitchfork and the, I'm Satan, you know, kind of voice thing. Can I tell you, his voice sounds normal, and it's really subtle, and it's really crafty, and it's really clever, clever and it's really there to deceive you. Man, and it sounds normal. He was more subtle. You didn't even know that joker was there. He just kind of slithered his way to your front door unnoticed. Boy, sounded normal to me. But it was crafty. It was skilled and ready to deceive you right on the spot. So listen, his first words were, did God really say... And listen, you can be rest assured that anytime that joker is speaking into your life, it will be very subtle, very clever, and always designed to deceive you. Did God really say? And so what do you do? The voice sounded normal. Didn't seem, it kind of sounds logical now that I'm thinking about it. And what's the whole goal? It gets you to doubt what God says. To get you to question what God wants to do in your life. I find it interesting because when I make the decision to live life with an open hand and open up my lunchbox, he is right there to try to convince you, well, that's not enough. Subtly, very cleverly. Oh, oh, you know what? That, that really doesn't have much value. Oh, here's another good one. You know what? That's contaminated. Man, if they only knew where you were. If they only knew what you had been doing. You don't want to give that away. Why? Because that voice is always there to deceive you. Always. And you know what? It sounds normal. It's a normal sounding voice. You know, AA has good Christian roots, but the only issue I have with the AA program is they try to convince you that your new identity is I'll be an addict for life. And the problem that I have with that is that's not your identity. That may have been an open door of struggle, but that is not who you are. It was not who God designed you to be, and I'm not going to listen to the enemy try to convince me that I'm something I'm not. So, Satan, now listen, this, this is another, if you're taking notes, jot this one down. Satan's greatest deception always comes in your greatest isolation. Let me say it one more time. Satan's greatest deception will always show up in your greatest isolation. We were never designed to live life alone. But that joker loves, because he's a coward, to sneak up on you when you're all by yourself. When Adam's not really paying attention, 
and I'm kind of doing my own thing, and that joker just slithers right up to me, sounds normal, and deceives. Your greatest moment of deception will always happen in your greatest moments of isolation. If you genuinely want to grow in your relationship with Christ, and again, we would all probably say, yes, I want to on some degree, but not only my growth, if I want to break through some lids in my life, if I want to begin to walk out my God-given purpose and my God-given destiny, if I want to literally begin to move the dial of my heart to where I am engaging more and more in Him, then the reality is you have to be plugged into something bigger than just you. We were never designed to live life alone. So I want to show you, I want to show you a, a, a diagram real quick. And can I tell you this just real quick? What some people call scraps, God uses to not just meet the needs of a family, but meet the needs of an entire village yeah. on what we call scraps. So listen, not only was that lunch enough to feed the masses, but there were leftover enough to change a village. It's amazing how it can seem so significant in my hands until I put it in his hands and he does something crazy with it. Now let me show you this because this is, I love this diagram here, and I encourage you, uh, this comes from a, a gentleman by the name of David Satterley. Uh, you can Google this. I mean, uh, it's not hard to find. But this particular one, I would actually, if, if I actually made a name for it, I would call it the growth of faith in stages. Our kind of faith walk, our journey in stages. So the first one, stage one, is this. I just have this awareness now of God. It's the difference between knowing about God and actually knowing Him. So I kind of have this awareness, and I begin to realize, you know what? Uh, there's something to this, and, and I want a little bit more of that. And I'm not really sure what it looks like, but I, there, there's something there. And then we shift into stage two, and, and I just I want to be crystal clear because I think it can be just a bit misleading. He has the word discipleship up there, but I want to focus more on what's in the parentheses, the learning. Because now all of a sudden, a hunger starts to a little bit develop in my life. And I, I'm like, I, man, I, I want to know more about this. I, I want to kind of grow in this. But most of the time, that is self-initiated. And that's why I said I, I don't really like discipleship as, as a uh, title because the purpose in that stage is there's something on the inside of me where I'm, I'm hungry for more. And discipleship speaks to someone coming and walking alongside of you, and that's, that's not really that stage. But it's a, it's a hunger. I, I know there's more and I want more. And then we move to stage three. And so now, man, I'm excited about this new relationship. And, and there's something to it. And, man, it's starting to fill voids in my heart that I didn't even realize. And so now I, I, I do want to kind of open my lunchbox. And I want to take a couple steps of faith. And let me serve a little bit. But then there's this wonderful thing here called the wall. And some people, uh, some, some other scholars will actually put the wall in between four and five for those of us that are really, really stubborn. And here's the purpose, and let me tell you, this is a God-ordained wall, and it's designed for you to crash right into it. 
Here's why. Because the first three stages are really initiated from me. There's something in me. There's a hunger in me. It's me responding to the, to the unctions of the Spirit of God on the inside saying, man, there's more to this. But then there's this wall. Here's the purpose of the wall. The first three stages are all about you and you initiating. The wall is there to help you to realize if you really want more, it won't be by yourself. And listen, for those of us that are super stubborn, because the next one is a journey inward, and here's what that means. I start to begin to realize I'm, I'm out of the really excited stage and, and the honeymoon stage of my relationship with God, and I'm starting to realize, man, I got some cracks, and I got some weaknesses, and I got some issues in my life. But can I tell you, if you take that journey inward alone, you're at the greatest point of deception that you can be at. Because that journey inward's never meant to be alone. Now let me break it down on a real practical level. How many of you have ever been to the gym? I love using the gym as an analogy. How many of you like went for a month and then totally abandoned it? It's like this is lamer than lame. Now, listen, I, I've lifted weights all of my life, part of being in sports. And can I tell you, there is a wall that you hit in lifting weights every time and it's without fail. Your body begins to plateau. You begin to hit this spot. And the reality is unless I have a trainer to help elevate me past where I'm at, I kind of just stay stuck right there in the gym. And, and I can't seem to break these lids. And then you connect with a personal trainer. And a personal trainer is able to walk with you to a degree where I help push past my plateau points. We got a personal trainer in here with us this morning. And what's his goal? I want to push you past where you're at right now. And the reality is the wall is there for us to plug into something bigger because you're going to hit that wall all by yourself and that's why the wall's there. And now God's saying, listen, it's time for you to lean into something bigger. It's time to connect with some people that can walk beside you and help you understand that journey inward so I'm not deceived. Because once I start that process and I begin to allow Jesus into the real intimate spots of my heart and I let him see my brokenness, and I let them see my weakness. And I let them see all the parts that I would really rather hide because I'm rather embarrassed or ashamed of them. Man, when he starts to have access to that part of me, then I actually get to stage five. I'm not so ashamed of me anymore. I realize that even the cracks in my vessel are there so that the goodness of God can spill out on other people. I begin to realize that my brokenness doesn't disqualify me. In fact, my scars qualify me. And I begin to realize that he is not ashamed or embarrassed of who I am. He accepted me that way before I ever started making any change in my life. And I start to live life out of who I am, not just what I can do. And then we get to the last stage, which is stage six. And stage six is all about now my life. I live to give. I don't live just to exist. 
I live now with a full understanding that I want to be like Jesus. And I want to give my life away to whoever would take it. Warts and all. Genesis 2.18. It's God telling Adam, you were never designed to live life alone. Now listen, we always ascribe that to a marriage and a marriage relationship because God makes Eve and she's a perfect helper. But can I tell you, that's not a marriage principle. It's a God life principle. We were never supposed to live life alone. We were supposed to plug in just like that boy. And again, let's pretend he was minding his own business. He wasn't even a part. But then all of a sudden engages in something bigger that takes him from five loaves and two fish in a little box to 12 baskets bigger. And the reality for you is you will never be all that you can be until you tilt into something bigger as well. Stages four, stages five, stages six. That's meant for us to have multiple personal trainers in our life. To say, hey, let's walk this out together. And again, for those of us that are really stubborn, the the wall just switches from in between three and four to in between four and five. But I'm telling you, you take the journey inward by yourself, you're at your greatest moment for deception that you could possibly be at. Why do we as a church, why do we always say that we're stronger together than we are apart? Because the reality is, is that when we're alone, it's not good. It's not beneficial. When we're alone, we're vulnerable to subtle deception. When we're left alone, we try to thrive through self-effort. So we make the wrong decisions followed by trying to sow our own fig leaves to cover it up. Come on, are you guys with me? And here's the reality. When I'm left alone, I'll always try to hide my weakness from God rather than engage with him about it. Guys, you will never be able to experience all that God has for you until you plug into something bigger. Listen, we're not, I'm not telling you this because I have an ulterior motive. My ulterior motive is your growth. Amen? My ulterior motive is being able to progress from one spot to the next. Can you just throw up just real quick? I just, I, I want to throw this up on the screen, and we've got like two or three more uh, than what's up here. But guys, this is one of the main reasons why we have life groups in our church and why we make this declaration. We are a church of life groups, not just that has a department of life groups. Why? Because, listen, I was not meant to take an inward journey all by myself. I wasn't meant. My best production comes when I got some personal trainers there to help me. My best comes when I've got a coach over me that can praise me when I need to be praised, grab my face mask when I need my face mask grabbed, kick me in the tail when I need that, but can love me through the whole journey. My encouragement, because again, we, we got life groups dealing with your faith and your finances. We got deeper dives into the things we talk about on Sunday. We got 
stuff for your marriage. We got stuff for, uh, you know, for the people that are like, you know, I'm struggling to see past today and today's issues. We got uh, ones that me and my wife do specifically for new people that come to the church so we can actually engage with brand new people. We got ones for discipleship and, and just the reality that I want to go deeper into the pool. I'm waist deep, but I want to go neck deep. We got ones uh, that are, are specific to Spanish, ones specific to worship, ones that are, are developmental to help you just to be a better leader as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a person in the, in the corporate world. And the reality is they're all designed to help you go from one stage to the next. That boy was not able to really be all that God intended him to be until he plugged into something bigger. And it's not just a good Sunday school story. It's a principle for how God desires for us to engage. We were never designed to live life alone. We were always designed to live life in community. Amen? Bow your heads with me for just a moment. Let me pray over you. Are you willing to give away what you have? Don't listen to the subtle, crafty voice of somebody that does nothing but wants to deceive you and trick you. Don't listen to that voice. I know it sounds normal, but it's a lie, a deceptive lie. I want you to really think through in this moment. Man, are there any walls that you're butting up against in your personal life? Maybe it is something in your marriage. Maybe it's something in your finances. Maybe there's just some spiritual disciplines that you really need in order to grow some more. But whatever wall you may be experiencing in this moment, I so want to encourage you. Plug into something bigger. Man, I know some men and women that are married and some of the most alone people that I've ever met in my life. It's not a marriage principle. It's a kingdom principle. We were never meant to live life alone. So what kind of wall are you hitting? Let's plug into something bigger. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts. Father, just as we prayed at the start, Father, we, we need to be plugged into community. We need to be plugged into something bigger. And so I'm asking you, Father, that you would just prick the hearts of everyone here under the sound of my voice. Father, get plugged in. And don't listen to that subtle voice that says, oh, man, I, I can't add another thing to my plate. Oh, I can't add. 
another uh, evening. Listen, you can't afford not to add another evening. And I want to encourage you. If you were serious when we prayed at the beginning to have a real conversation with God, then let's let a real one happen right now. In Jesus' name, amen.